Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome to Insight LA Long Beach uh, Sunday Sit. Again, my name is Casey and the topic today is... It might change a little bit, but we're going to go over uh, an introduction to the relaxed mind. This is by Zal Kilung Rinpoche. It's a really, really wonderful outline of a meditation practice from start to finish (coughs) in the Tibetan tradition, which, of course, incorporates other traditions as well. Um, But I thought it might be fun to start. um, LC was scheduled to teach today. Um, She wasn't able to make it. Um, So I get to be with you two weeks in a row, which is wonderful. Um, But every so often, I think it's fun to do a little bit of of a check-in, a little bit of a Q&A in regards to meditation practice. So I thought that maybe we could start there, and then I'm sure it'll evolve into kind of what I was going to cover anyway with with Rinpoche's book. But um, to get a chance to ask um, any meditation, any practice questions that might be coming up for you. Um, yeah, anything at all. And you can just kind of sit with it for a moment. <clears throat> have a question, you could just raise your hand. Mark, okay, are I you am. Mark one or two today? You're just, you're just Mark today. <laughs> yes. uh, a uh, common uh, question I want to make is that I've noticed when I meditate, sometimes I get so deep, I can feel like I'm in a different wavelength. I can feel, I almost get uh, insightful. And my question, or the answer I'm looking for, is how can I sort of more regularly connect in that space, rather than just sort of drifting around the top when I meditate? Mm. Um, so the question is, you know, Mark is saying he feels like a really deep, a deep, uh, he, has he put a different wavelength Uh, a different state of being in meditation and how can he access that uh, more routinely. Uh, The first first step is to not strive to access that Mm -hmm. more routinely. So the difficulty is, is that once we reach a certain level of peace in meditation, we grasp and we crave for that level of peace once again. So by that by that momentum, it keeps us away from that, right? So I like in this aspect of meditation, like a runner's high. How do you get a runner's high? Run. Run. <laughs> you run. 
You can't force a runner's high. Yeah, you just run. Same thing with the meditation practice. The way that you achieve that, probably the first time, is not the striving, oh, I'm going to get to this place. It was just doing the practice. By simply doing the practice, it delivers us into that. So this is what I like to call true meditation. True meditation is the meditation is meditating you. But we're not. The meditator's gone. It's just this happening. It's just happening. So the more that we can get out of our own way, the better. Just let that naturally arise. So the answer is practice, practice, practice. And surrender. Yes. Practice and, 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 and surrender. Like, even, even the bad practice is perfect. Crazy monkey mind practice, perfect. You know? Watching all that arise. Yeah, just to kind of underline that one time, um, uh, I did a Kundalini chanting uh, meditation, which I had never done before. <coughs> and I walked into this room, and it was start at 4 a.m., and it went until 8 a.m. And I had no idea what the chant was or anything. I just kind of did it. And as soon as I got in, I was like, well, anyway, so I started to do it. And <coughs> I got on the wavelength of all these people, and we were all just, like, doing this thing. And, you know, when I used to imagine Kundalini, like, what that is, I imagined it coming, you know, like, from my spine from the back up. Mm -hmm. That was, like, my story about it before. And um, I'm sitting here, and I don't know how long I was doing that. I was just chanting this particular chant. And all of a sudden, right, right down at the very beginning, like, around where my yoni is, I, it, this, this like spiral started to happen. And it was so amazing, the feeling. And it was just like coming up in it. And it was like different dimensional, you know? And it was like it was swirling and coming up. And then I was so into how it felt that then that part of me wanted to look at it. And as soon as I wanted to look at it, it stopped. Mm -hmm. It just stopped. So it just kind of underlines what you're saying. Yeah.
meditation, well, right before the meditation started today, tears just started coming. And um, already there's all this, this judgment. Oh, I'm, I'm just, my whole meditation, I'm just going to be, you know, emotional and upset. And so I'm watching the conversation. And then I'm afraid to get a Kleenex because I don't make noise to bother people. And then somebody starts jumping around upstairs. <laughs> and normally I'd be so irritated, like, shut up. <laughs> I, but I, st I started laughing. And then and this big smile came over my face. And I'm like, that's so funny. I, I was afraid I was going to disturb people, which really is shouldn't be a concern here anyway. So it was just watching the, the thoughts and the expectations, how quickly the emotions just kept changing. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting here trying not to laugh out loud. Because <laughs> I still have trouble with the traffic sometimes here, with the noise, because I used to meditate in a very cave-like, quiet, silent space. So anyway, it was just it was interesting. Um, and I probably missed, I was in the bathroom, so I missed the beginning shares. But at least it seemed relatable with these experiences in meditation and the expectation and the hope. I'm just glad to be here and I'm very grateful and to try to keep letting go during the, the meditation. I felt like I had a lot of chatter, but at least I tried to watch it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and just let it be, but I, I was smiling more than I was crying today. So I'm, and I'm smiling right now. So just thank you all. It's, it's just great to be home. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I paid Mike extra today. <laughs> Mike and his wife to, ten to ten thirty, buddy. <laughs> Keep us in the present. As I read about meditation and mindfulness and insight, I uh, have heard many times in my readings and maybe in talks that uh, you must practice. You know, this is from teachers. Must practice 100% mindfulness and 100% meta. And I have uh, not been able to do meta until recently. And I remember reading another part that said sometimes it feels forced. And so I always felt a forcedness with it prior to where I am now. So this meta has been visiting me often. And uh, I even see it coming in my meditation. Like if something comes up and I feel something, and it's meta comes in. And I, my question is, that that's the question, <laughs> you know, is that, is that, uh, is it, mindfulness is an experience. Meta is a practice, so I'm combining them, and I'm wondering if that is something advisable. Yeah, at, at the end, they're one and the same. So meta, loving kindness, and then mindfulness, paying attention to exactly how things are non-judgmentally. They seem like two different practices. They're one practice, really one practice. Mindfulness, this non-judgmental, paying attention to the present moment on purpose non-judgmentally, we cannot do that without meta. How can we be non-judgmental to ourselves, to shame, guilt, 
anger without loving kindness? How can we allow everything to be as it is without loving kindness? In fact, if you allow someone to be just as they are, how loving and kind is that? At the end, this bare awareness, this naturally arising bare awareness, allows everything to be just as it is. Everything has a place in awareness, just as it is. There's no judgment there. So there's this infinite arising of kindness already. On a relative level, it looks like we're cultivating both mindfulness and loving kindness. On a relative level, it's a cultivation and there's a division on a relative level. On an ultimate level, there's no practice of mindfulness. We are mindful, we are aware. We have to jump out of awareness every moment to grab onto what we're not, right? Grasping onto a thought is effortful. It takes effort to do that. Naturally arising in that space, when we get into the space of just beingness, metta, bodhicitta, is spontaneously arising from there. Until we have that experience, it's going to stay in the relative level, so we cultivate metta. May I be healthy, may I be safe, may I be at ease, may others be safe, may others be free, all those things. So the merging of the two, so when we enter into mindfulness, so we could do so with the intention, may I do this practice so that myself and all beings are free. May I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. So we always cultivate loving kindness. Then when we act, when we're practicing mindfulness, we're meeting everything with kindness. Everything that we meet goes through the filter of kindness. It's a flavor of mindfulness. It goes through kindness. Everything. If you're talking to a friend, whatever she says, you're talking to a friend, it's going to go through a filter of kindness. Automatically. It's a good friend. If you're around somebody uh, you might not see eye to eye with, you notice that you're meeting that, that energy, you're meeting it with a little bit of apprehension. So in meditation, we're practicing to meet whatever is arising with some loving kindness. Now, same thing with bodhicitta, obviously. If we're cultivating metta in a practical sense, we're also doing that with some ultimate truth aspects, right? Too much compassion, like without, without wisdom, is attachment. Then if we go full wisdom, letting everything be as it is, without compassion, we go into nihilism, right? Oh, everything's just empty, everything's fine, violence is okay, just everything as it is. So then we go the opposite direction, so it's a blending of the two. Um, I've been reading a book, um, The Buddha's Words, and um, I, I like to have like the path laid out and I like to know exactly where I'm going and I want to kind of know the best way to get there. 
So anyhow, so I'm reading this book and I was like, oh, this is so great. I mean, it's filling in a lot of blanks for me. But I'm not really meditating. I'm just, you know, gathering the information to kind of like to figure out where um, kind of the, the, the best path, right? Um, and um, so I was reading about the jhanas. And, and it's like, oh, I never really, I was not familiar with them per se. Mm -hmm. And um, so I find that, like, you know, um, I'd like my concentration to be better, you know, I'd like my energy to be better, I'd like my, um, I don't know, conviction to be better. So, um, so my question is, like, is, the, is that um, a good way, the jhanas, is that a good way to promote more of those qualities, because I think once those get going, then I can, um, anyhow, I'll be, I'll have more tools, yes. So she's speaking of the jhanas, which are levels of meditation, meditative absorption, usually found through more of the shamatha or concentration practices. So the jhanas, like if you go on jhana retreat, it's very concentration-based, which is different from mindfulness or vipassana. Um, so when, when we're looking at the different paths, which it's really easy to do here in the West because we have so much out here. So we like to look, look, look. And I think this is a very, um, very common where you were mentioning I'm reading, but I'm not meditating. Not yet. Not like you don't meditate, but um, is that that's that's a wonderful path. That, that the, the answer is if you just study the jhanas, that's a wonderful path. And it could take you all the way there. Um, same with the Vipassana path or same with you know, other paths. Uh, all of those are so deep and so rich. Traditionally, those, those were taught and practiced more in a, a environment and a container that was very strong. Very strong container. Um, not a lot of noise and and, and th this and that. So typically they're looked at as a little bit more difficult to practice just because a container has to be so tight. Where Vipassana is a very loose container, right? Letting everything in, letting everything out. Jhanas is not letting everything in, letting everything out. It's very strict in the focal point, but, uh, but wonderful. But I would say broadly, whatever we're doing, there's this learning and listening, reading, Right, the teachings, and then contemplating, and then meditating. So these are the three stages. So we could use self-awareness to see which ones we might be lacking. Even if you're just a strong meditator, I mean, I would say that's the best because you're everything. But still, we need to continue learning and contemplating to make sure that we're on the right path and being um, self-aware throughout the entire process, yeah? Connecting with teachers and whatnot. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was curious what you meant by the container. Do you mean like a monastery or do you talk mm. about the practice itself? Like Both, actually. Okay. Yeah. And in like environmental container, mm -hmm. so the retreats are, are more a little more strict, but then also the mindset when you're practicing those types of concentration practices that are really, really strong. And this goes, goes for a lot of 
what I like to call the concentration schools that derived out of you know mostly India. Let's say the the mantra schools, the visualization schools, like Kundalini Yoga would be one. Like you practicing rising up the energy and, and this and that. So if you're practicing something that has a very strong specific visual, visualization, all about the high tantras is also the high tantras of Tibetan Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So you're vi- visualizing a deity. Mm-hmm. If you're going to visualize a deity in every single aspect of that deity, having somebody bounce a ball upstairs is not going to be uh, conducive to your practice, right? So you have to have a tight container. Anyone else? So, this book by Keelan Rinpoche, I, I think I wrote it in the Facebook post. I've been waiting a long time for a book like this to come out because it's such a good manual, such a good instruction. Um, I've always gravitated towards instruction manuals, like how can I do this myself, right? And this is a fantastic, fantastic book on just that from beginning to end and of course uh, he writes in here too how in the west we love linear like you're saying like i want to start from a to b you know a to z and how do i do it where do i begin and in reality i think that's one of the most difficult parts about learning buddhism and even though it is like that it isn't like they start from the very beginning sometimes in zogchen they'll actually give pointing out instructions first which is the very end of the path. And if we look at the Eightfold Path in Theravada, right view, right view is the end. Right view is the end. But it's also listed first because you have to know where you're going on a relative level. This is where I'm heading. And then at the end, you get the experiential realization of that once you go through the Eightfold Path. But the Eightfold Path, going through the Eightfold Path, obviously, is not linear, it's all together. Right, we're practicing meditation and ethics and right intentions, so right view, all together, all the time. So even though they're not, they're not linear. He he writes them out in in such a way that they are, and they definitely do give solidity, so and a better foundation as you go each one, right. So the first place he starts, and we did this not too long ago, we talked about posture. He talks about posture. How many people were here when we, we, we a little review? Okay. Kevin, you want to teach people about posture? Sure. <coughs> Put posture. you on the spot. <laughs> awesome, I didn't know you were. 
Yeah, your knees are supposed to be below your pelvis level and basically relaxed. Okay, so this is number one, right? Hips above the knees. No matter what you are, like this, this chair is not that good because it has arms. This is one of the things that you don't want is arms. So I can't put my knees back, but, but hips above your knees, even if you're in a chair, right? Yeah, what's next? Let's sit back is straight. So being that the pelvis is above the knees, now you can have, you, you can move back and forth, right? So that the back can be straight. The arms are relaxed and your hands are just laying on top of one another. Mm -hmm. uh, you said something I can never do, which is uh, your eyes are sort of open, but I can't do that. My eyes have to be closed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, eyes open or eyes closed. Sometimes we get a little bit daydreamy if we close our eyes completely, leaving the eyes, leaving the eyelids a little half cracked and allowing light to come in. This is really, really good. Keeps the mind a bit brighter. Yeah. What else? Can anyone fill in, Shannon? What else? Did um, he leave? About posture? Yeah. Um. Well, I, I remember I pointed out that sometimes it's not comfortable to sit cross-legged, so you can sit like this. So her hips are above her knees automatically, right? Yep, very nice. So one other thing, just I'll use Kevin as an example. So Kevin has a couple what we call floating knees, so I would want to put a cushion there so you have three points of contact. Mm. Yeah? And then I would put. Well, we'll use this one. No. Okay. And then I put another cushion here. Oh, now. Yeah. So, so now look how comfortable he is. And now go ahead and put your arms out. So we can put all of our arms out. Thumbs pointing upward. And then allow the arms to fall back in to and on top of the thighs. Feel the openness in your chest. So we have a natural curvature of the spine. This allows the spine to kind of sit. So we want to be held up by our skeletal system. And this is very important in that this first meditation is, is a body meditation. And the Buddha would say that there's no enlightenment without body meditation, meditation on body. The, the four foundations of mindfulness. The first one, mindfulness of body. Yeah? So we're tuning in just the posture. Getting to the posture is already the meditation. We're waking up to the body and getting the body-mind. So now, we think meditation is only mind. This is not true. They have to come together. Right? There's really no difference, but the, the body is telling the mind all the time. It's communicating so much. It's so rich. All the self-awareness is arising. So mindfulness of body is one of the most favorite, uh, what can become one of our uh, you know, most favorite objects of the meditation because it's with us all the time. It's communicating all the time. And we can do it nonstop. Always checking into the body, right? All right, so the hips are above the knees. We want to have three points of contact, right? 
tailbone, the knees, or the feet, yeah? The chest is open. The neck is balancing on the top of the spine. The eyes, if they're closed, that's fine. If your eyes are open, they're at a 45 degree angle and they're, they're soft focusing out in front of you. So maybe let's just settle in. I'm going to guide us through a little body meditation. So this will be the first practice in Rinpoche's book. start off by doing some chanting and we're going to do Om Ah Hum. And in Rinpoche's book, the, he actually, the, the last syllable he, he writes out in English, Hum, H-U-N. Usually it's H-U-M and has a little delicate pronunciations that I've heard but we're gonna do like a home sometimes it's hung or whom so om ah whom like whom is going with you whom <coughs> and then when we're chanting om this is body so we're purifying body mm -hmm. Chanting Om, resonating with the body, clearing the body, and then Ah, we're chanting Ah, this is purifying speech. This is not only physical verbal speech, but this is also the chatter of the mind. And then Whom? And this is the heart-mind. So sometimes just written as mind, body, speech, mind. But the mind and the heart are one. And this is also primordial awareness itself. So clarifying all obstacles to body, speech, and mind. So we're just chanting Om all the way through one time, and then we'll do ah, one big long breath, and then whom.
becoming mindful of mind, of awareness. Being awake to the moment that you're here, you're present. Allowing your mind to soften with your intention of kindness and your intention to want to be happy. that intention altruistic if you like. Wishing for your happiness and the happiness of all beings. Entering into the meditation with a sense of ease, the sense of calm, using a relaxed effort of the mind to attend to itself as it attends to the body. So moving your awareness into the body, connecting with the sensations you might find, you might notice the contact points your sitting bones, your feet, your knees touching the ground. position or sensations in your hands.
you may notice the sensations caused by the movement of breath. with the body. If the mind wanders, which it will, just bringing it back. Whatever you find in the body. this particular meditation there is an analytical aspect as you scan your body with your mindfulness with your awareness you can check in to see if you're holding any stress tightness heaviness could ask why might that be why may you be holding stress in that area of the body and then seeing if you can breathe into it and allow it to relax
see how little effort you can give, yet still pay attention to the body. Very, very light. May your attention be light as a feather. No expectation. With the mind at ease, may the body be at ease. invited to even bring a joyful mind to the body meeting what you find with a sense of joyfulness you could even add gratitude for the body How was that? 
mindfulness of body. share how that went for them. Sure. I really appreciate the chanting and the sound vibration. And mm-hmm. I, I used to do more of that than all practice, but mm-hmm. uh, it did remind me, I feel it helps sometimes with the chatter. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I'm not helpful to start with that. Yeah, it's nice. Um, I think it's wonderful in a, in a group to do that. Um, and I think even even silently, um, I don't do a lot of outward chanting, but but these chants are very common to do before the meditations and the sadhanas. I think even inwardly, they have a vibration to them that are quite nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's just something about hearing the audibly mm-hmm. connecting with all the voices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just an extra layer of that unified part of energy. I agree. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Why do we cross our legs again rather than just like sitting open? Like what's the benefit of crossing our legs? You mean other than sitting in a chair, per se? Well, when you're meditating, often it's in the lotus position. Yeah. And I'm under. I'm not understanding why. Why is it that rather than just sitting like in a chair with my legs down, you know, and straight and awareness? And... Yeah, there's actually no difference there. Okay. Yeah, the the reason why it traditionally it was taught is because it's really hot in India. Yeah, like because sitting on the floor is very common, mm-hmm. and and also with the postures like that that exact posture mm-hmm. is because because you can be held up by your skeleton when you get locked in like that you have three points of contact and you do that your body could disappear in that way not like your mindfulness of it can but you don't need to you're not being held up by your muscles like if you notice if you're like that. Your abdomen needs to tense, right? So you can't be held up. Now, sitting in a chair is perfectly fine, uh, perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. There's there's no difference in that. As long I would say, as long as your spine is straight, and you could have that same feeling of effortlessness in a chair as well. Thank you. I think uh, for years I worked for uh, forgiving myself for not being able to have great meditation. I, I mean, great posture. Um, I was hit by a semi-tractor trailer. I had my body cut into. I had my knees replaced. And so I have a lot of, of pain that I have to deal with with my body and it can't really remain erect no matter how I sit. 
And I mean, I remember before all this happened, I used to be able to sit and my knees and bend and all this kind of stuff. So I think it's kind of important, the aging body or the damaged body, to find a place that where it's not about your body. Yeah. That you are lost. And, you know, the body is just immaterial and find something that's comfortable for you. But I, um, it, it takes a little work because you want to say, gosh, she's been meditating for years and look at her posture, oh. you know, it's, um, <laughs> the judgment comes out and uh, to give yourself a break mm -hmm. you know, about everything, but about that, I think it does take a little time because you want to be, you know, perfect and all that That's a great point. One time after a sit, I was sitting somewhere and somebody came up to me afterward and said, man, you sit like really well and for a long time. And, and I said, for now, <laughs> that's impermanent. Yeah. Like for one, I was a horrible sitter. I couldn't, I still can't touch my toes. And the only thing I could, the only thing I'm really flexible a little bit is sitting like that. But, you know, things change. You know, I hurt. I, I crashed on my motorcycle and I hurt my knee the last three months. It's just mm. now getting better. Mm. So for, yeah, three months I couldn't really sit. Just like that. Just real fast. So it's all, it's all really permanent, but, impermanent. But good point with that, with the posture too, is like, yes, if we can sit like this, wonderful. Um, also, the Buddha would talk about, about the lying down posture. He said, we have to learn how to meditate lying down for old age, sickness, and death. So, so practice that. We don't practice that right away because we want to fall asleep. But he would emphasize that along with all the other postures, we only emphasize, you know, like the sitting posture. But of course, walking meditation, he would emphasize all the time, lying down posture all the time. And yeah, definitely find something if you need to lie down. I've gone to, you know, full, full re seven day longer retreats with people lying down every single session. They have an injured back or something. You know, put your arm up when you lay down so it doesn't fall, um, when you fall asleep, and that's fine. Put your, put something uh, underneath your, your knees or, or whatnot. So yeah, absolutely great point. Do whatever you need to do um, to allow your body to feel comfortable. I have a question about technicality of the meditation. Going to these, uh, Vipassana retreats and all that. What I learned from Masai Bronco is that Anapana versus Vipassana initially, when you're novice, Anapana is good, just concentrate on breathing, then concentrate on sensation, Vipassana, and all that stuff. And then I came across this heart mind, I'm sure you're familiar with, where they have a little EKG machine, you know, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. It seems like when you're paying attention to that with breathing, as they call it, heart breathing, Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like you concentrate much easier and you, um, you relax a lot better. So what's the best method of meditation? Is that just doing that? Or is it a personal? Is it uh, what? I was under impression. Initially Anapana, then as you get better, then you personal. So you're, you're talking about the heart-mind app? Right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's not heart-mind notes. Um, What's the name of the company? It's HeartMath. 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 So HeartMath makes an app. HeartMath is a wonderful company. Been around a long time investigating the 
biorhythms of the body and kind of the science behind the heart is really interesting. But they make an app now, clips to your ear. I'm waiting for it to go out on, on the iWatch or whatever. But um, it's fascinating that if you actually rest in awareness, they, you can, they have it on the app, it kind of flowers. And if you, if, if you mimic your breath to that, you'll go into co um, coherence. coherence, right? So that's how they, a lot of biorhythms will start to merge, right? If you just watch it and you breathe with that, it'll go into coherence. coherence. But what's fascinating is if you just rest in awareness, you'll it go into coherence. You'll go into, co yeah, it does it. If you start practicing meta, it'll do it. It's fascinating. If you, just, if you start being aware of loving kindness, you'll go into coherence and it'll turn green. So it'll tell you. It's quite fascinating. The, I, I think globally, like, there, there, there is no right meditation. You know, meditation, the oldest, the oldest trans, translation is in Sanskrit, to become familiar with. So you could switch out what you're becoming familiar with. I mean, ultimately, we're becoming familiar with ourselves, but you become familiar with your breath. You can become familiar with your body. You can become familiar with heart and mind. You can become familiar with ultimate reality, you know, just pure, pure awareness. But it's this, pure, it's this pure wakefulness part. That is always constant. You can't be asleep and meditating. And I mean asleep not so people talk about oh i reached a state of meditation where i'm not really on my object anymore but i'm not asleep i'm in this really yummy kind of thing that young yummy in between state you have to be very careful of that because you're actually not meditating because you're not awake right you have to be aware of something and it's that awareness that we're cultivating Right? We're getting in line and in the groove of being aware of awareness. Now that awareness can be aware of something or it could be aware of itself, but it has to be there. You have to have that wakefulness, that bodhi, right? Mm -hmm. Awake, bodhi. Bodhi chitta, awake mind. Chitta, mind. We have to have that. So what, and that, that could change and you'll see that's kind of the, it goes from coarse to subtle. We go from coarse object, physical object, coarse inner object, and it gets more and more subtle in the practice until it's just awareness. Just that, you know. So mindfulness needs to be mindful of something, doesn't matter what. And the sooner we can, the sooner we could remove the doubt that the technique matters, the better. Because we can't keep going on the surface, looking, 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 looking. The most important piece is you pick something, go deep. If you're not doing that, that's a hindrance of doubt. And really pay attention to, to that. Because it's the worst one, that hindrance of doubt. Picking your technique is doubt. Pick something. Do it for a year, two years, three years. Remember, focusing on your breath could take you all the way there, right? Meta, all the way there. Pick one thing, you could just go all the way. Yeah, last one, I think we're oh, just about there. No, no we're good, go ahead. Oh. Um, I am a meditator. 
Yeah, I've been meditating with you for many years, and it's deepened. But I also like, like you were thought about what's the correct posture for me. This was my familiar friend from a long time ago, but I have, over the years, I counted them the other day, I think I have seven different kinds and colors and sizes of cushions. And they all sit in this room and I look at them all and I think, wow, look at all those. I'm always on this. So I have wandered and uh, wondered, but I keep coming back to this. Wonderful. So maybe let's just dedicate the merit to your posture. So reaching into the tender, kind part of your heart. Feel it in the body when compassion arises. You see someone that needs help. Where do you feel that in your body? When you act at a service or you're on the receiving end of kindness. So thinking of all the goodness, the wisdom, and the insights, and the community, and the togetherness that have arisen for all of us here today. And sending it out with our intention that all beings can feel this, whatever merit, Whatever merit has arisen, that all beings somehow, some way, it reaches all of them. And then maybe if you have a suffering being in your life that you know, it could be yourself, allow them to come to mind. wishing that the merit that we cultivated today together can be enough for them to have a freedom of suffering. May all beings be happy without exception. May all beings be free from suffering. Oh, money, pet me on.
just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.